everyone and welcome back to Sip and Spin. My name is Skylar and over here in a cute little green shirt is Brittany. Hello! It's a variety podcast where we talk about anything, everything, and nothing. Please don't restart my computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that almost got bad there for a second. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's going great. It's clearly gone well. We have now done this twice. This is our <laughs> second try. This is like... The first time barely counted, okay? <laughs> this is still the first time. Get off me. I made us cute drinks, okay? <laughs> I've been focused on that for the last hour. <laughs> well, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Also okay. Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> no. No? I had a rough night, but I'm fine. Uh-huh. I just didn't sleep well. Mm. So, mm, a little out of it. Yeah, I had to stop watching Criminal Minds because every time I try and watch Criminal Minds, it's at night when I get off of work. And the next episode that's coming up, uh, just I could tell from the first two seconds, I was like, oh, this is a home invasion episode. I'm going to, I can't watch this while it's dark. Otherwise, I will never go to bed. That's fair. <laughs> two genetic home invasion stuff. I think I got five hours of sleep last night. I went to bed at like 4 a.m. and woke up at 8 a.m. I thought you used to go to bed early. Oh, so that's four hours of sleep. <laughs> Weren't you, like, a person who used to, like, go to bed at, like, 10? Yeah, when I worked, but I was at the bar last night. Uh. <laughs> so I didn't go to bed till like, 4 a.m. And then I woke up at 8 a.m. this morning. And I was like, oh, oh, why? Why not sleep in? Uh, because church. Ah, fun. Yeah, if it's a Sunday where I don't have to work, then I have to go to church. Then you lie, and then just go sleep in your car. <laughs> There's a printout of my schedule taped to the refrigerator. That's on you. <laughs> lie <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a bad liar uh, that's fair I cannot lie mm-hmm. no matter I try to sometimes some people are like I'm like oh, that's not true <laughs> and then you just tell the truth <laughs> like I don't know why I said that <laughs> that wasn't even a little bit true I'm so sorry <laughs> I mean that's a nice quality to have for other people I guess but not for me when I want to lie <laughs> when you want to lie <laughs> okay that's fair. Well, what are we doing today? So today we are talking about mystical. Yes. Could you not? Please, Mochi. Jeez. Mochi's over there wilding. As per usual. <laughs> I mean, honestly, who's surprised anymore at this point? But yes, we are talking about mystical today. Yes. And it's our 50th episode. It is. And we did nothing to celebrate this, so... I have, it's funny, because I remember, I guess when I was editing the last one, I was like, oh, the next one will be 50. That's cool. And then it just went right out of my head again. Well, the funny <laughs> so. part is, like, a couple weeks ago, we were like, oh, we're coming up on 50. We should do something. And we got, like, some ideas down of things we should do. And we have done none of them. I bought cute glasses. <laughs> we, we are having fancy drinks for the 50th episode. <laughs> I haven't, I don't know if it's a good drink. I have not tried it. I just simply made it and put it in a cute bottle. Yes, because it was Brittany's choice for drink this week, and I believe she called it her witch's brew. Yeah. So they're like green and foamy, and I put them in little potion bottles, because I'm very cute like that. Yeah, they're very, very cute. And I know we stopped taking pictures of the drinks. Uh, I feel like we should do that this episode. (laughs) We should probably do it before we... uh, Before we drink. Drink them, then. (laughs) Yeah. It's called a witch's brew. It's vodka. It's kind of a fave. I love that. Um, And then pineapple juice, Sprite, and 
lime jello. Okay. I like. So. I like Sprite. I do like jello. I don't think I've ever tried pineapple juice. Unless. In, wait. It's in it? so many drinks. <laughs> Probably in drinks with rum, which is not something I drink a lot mm. of. Oh, it's sweet. I like it. It's not bad. Yeah. That's something I would drink on the reg. But. I'm like, I could just drink this whole thing. <laughs> Good thing you have two. <laughs> Uh, if you're interested in making that for Halloween, it's cute. Definitely recommend potion bottles, though. So really cute. adds to it. Yeah, so cute. So witchy. So witchy. Which I guess is fitting for Mystical. And October. Yeah. And yeah, this is just, this is our vibe this month. It is, and I love that for us. So we're getting Mystical today, so what do you have? Well, are we just ready to? Oh, I didn't know. To Do get we on. have anything? I, else? I was about to ask you like anything else. So should we just get into it? And then you just you just ran with it, didn't you? I did. I, I jumped the gun. All right. I mean, I'm here for it. I've got nothing else really. Okay, me either. Okay. Well, today I am going to talk some about palmistry. Okay. So this is not something I actively practice, but it's something I'm very interested in. The beginning half will be like some history stuff, and at the very end, it'll be kind of like a walkthrough on some basic palm reading mm. things to do if you're interested in palm reading. And again, like I said, I am not an expert, so. But palmistry is also known, of course, as palm reading and chiromancy. Palmistry is thousands of years old, and it has been practiced since before the Christ era, which, like, anything mystical really that we send teams yeah. to cover you know so in the olden days many princes and kings were taken to the help were taking the help of astrology and palmistry through their appointed scholars and decision making was done only after the suggestions from the advisory board and state appointed astrologers numerologists palmists etc this way of governing of course is really like not existent today because people will be like people will think i'm crazy if i do this although <laughs> i think it's really super cool um, yeah i would love to palm read but it's uh, like a practice with like rulers and stuff they still throw it into a lot of media so it's a lot of tv shows like Mm -hmm. game of thrones they use astrologers and stuff to predict the future and it's in a lot of books so still very much referenced but just not really practiced today the art of palmistry can be traced back to as far as the stone ages uh, where pictures of human hands are frequently found in cave drawings and this shows that there was a special interest in that specific part of the body, which then leads to like, oh, the art of palmistry and using the stars and all that to mm-hmm. predict stuff, which I always think is super fucking cool. Some specific caves that have the palm paintings are the Le Cove caves in France. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. The Santander caves in Spain and in several caves in Africa. So those are the biggest ones. Ancient Vedic, is that how you say that? V-E-D-I-C? Sure. Vedic. I, I wasn't sure if you knew, because it's like religion, I think, so I wasn't sure. Ancient Vedic scriptures prove that palm reading has been practiced religiously, but not in the form of religion or a cult, but has been given enough validation in the form of science. So I know, of course, a lot of people think all this stuff is pseudoscience, but I'm going to look at it from the perspective where people are taking it as actual scientific mm-hmm. study. So... Just keep that in mind. I am not claiming it is actual science, but I believe in stuff like this, but this is just what it was in history. It was actual science back then. According to K.C. Sin, an Indian palmist, 
Quote, earliest writing on palmistry was an ancient Sanskrit language. These verses were kept away from the eyes of the public, and still the old text has been preserved and been in the safe hands of a few eminent scholars and practitioners of palmistry. End quote. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> quote, earliest writing on palmistry was an ancient Sanskrit language. These verses were kept away from the eyes of the public and are still that to this day kept from the eyes of the public. The old text has been preserved, though, and has been in the safe hands of a few eminent scholars and practitioners of palmistry. Okay. Quote. Okay. For some, my auditory processing <laughs> disorder acted up then, and I could hear you speaking, and I was like, I don't know any of those words, which I do know all of those <laughs> words, but when you, not computing. <laughs> when you said it the first time, I was like... What? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of the thing. Um, so a lot of this is going to have reference to, like, Indian words and terms and names that I'm going to butcher. But also this article that I am quoting a lot of the scientists from was written by an Indian man. And I think it was poorly translated to whoever translated it for him. So the... Oh, no. The translation that, might have was, been a little weird. It was weird. nothing. Once you said it the second time, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Okay. It was just the first time you said it. I did like, add some stuff in the second, though, because I figured it might help. But, but I was like, <laughs> I was like my auditory processing disorder. I was just like. I getcha. But that is something I did want to say in the beginning. Like, I am so sorry if I butcher a lot of these. And if some of the wording is weird or maybe doesn't make sense, I think that's why I think it was a translated article. Gotcha. Or like a research paper. Aristotle reportedly discovered a treatise on the subject of palmistry on an altar of Hermes, which he then presented to Alexander the Great, who then took great interest in examining the character of his officers by analyzing the lines on their hand, which I just think was funny. I love that. So of course, just Alexander the Great is going around. Let like, me see your palm. Let me see it. <laughs> <laughs> love that. You did not pass the vibe check. <laughs> Please leave. <laughs> Palmistry is indirectly referenced in the book of, I never know how to say it. Is it the book of Job or is it the book of Yab? The religion book. The book of the Bible? I guess. We always say the book of Job. Job. Okay. Yeah. So I guess, apparently, like I said, I don't know anything about religion or the Bible, <laughs> but palmistry is indirectly referenced in the book of Job, which uh, was dated by scholars to be between the 7th and the 4th centuries BCE. Fun fact. I couldn't find exactly what they were referencing but i did see that quoted a lot but again i don't know the bible so that's, i didn't that's the book of the bible that i feel like a lot of the things that come from it's like god i'm not your strongest soldier because job was that was his whole book <laughs> like he he went through some shit that whole entire book but his faith remained strong maybe it was palmistry that <laughs> helped <laughs> is that blasphemous Who's to say? i don't care <laughs> <laughs> And Renaissance. Like if you've heard some of the shit I've said, definitely blasphemous. Most of we... the things we say on this podcast. <laughs> I was like, literally all the time. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure we've talked about fucking priests several times. <laughs> several, several times. Yes, like, fucking priests and derogatory, but also just like us fucking priests. Yeah. <laughs> we've tended both ways. Derogatory and... Sexual. Sexually. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> We're so fun here. So PC. It's great. Definitely not blasphemous. I thought you were going to keep going. No. I, was, <laughs> I just said it and I was like that, but that just wasn't true. <laughs> You're like looking up. Like, it's like I, try, I tried to lie again. <laughs> uh, she can't do it. <laughs> I just witnessed it firsthand. 
You saw my whole face contort when I tried it. <laughs> I did. Okay. In Renaissance magic palmistry, or in Renaissance magic, palmistry was classified as one of the seven forbidden acts. So along with necromancy, geomancy, aeromancy, pyromancy, hydromancy, and spatulomancy. During the sixth... What was that last one? Spatulomancy. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> but it's spelled like spatulomancy. <laughs> I was like, you had me? And I was like, I was like, okay, like aeromancy, like maybe that's air to do. Like, you know, I was pretty much kind of figuring it out, like the ones I hadn't heard before. But I'm like, okay, it's base word. Yeah, when I it comes like to it like sense. black magic, I really don't know what spatulomancy so like, would be a reference to. I was like, okay, I get, I get necromancy, <laughs> I, pyromancy, pyro, that's yeah. fire, aeromancy. I'm like, I bet that's air. And then you said spatulomancy, and I was like, what? <laughs> Pause. Let me look it up. <laughs> Spatulas just start floating through the air. Okay, so. The definition of spatulomancy is divination by means of an animal's shoulder blade. That, okay, that makes sense. Um, because, you know, so yeah, that bone. That is what that means. But we all learn something. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even think of it medically. <laughs> I probably should have. I was in here, I'm like, is it like to do with cooking? <laughs> like... Dark black arts of cooking. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense now. Shoulder blade, spatula. Yep. Okay, that that checks out. That works. Okay. <laughs> Skylar's on board again. <laughs> so yes, uh, was classified as one of the seven forbidden acts. During the 16th century, palmistry was actively suppressed by the Catholic Church. Of course. Naturally. It was considered black magic, and practitioners were kept in jail if they were found believing in palm reading. Mm. So, you believe in palm reading? Straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of the audio yeah yeah that's why i said it it makes me laugh every single time i hear it that's pretty good you steal straight to jail <laughs> you undercook fish straight to jail you overcook fish straight to jail undercook overcook <laughs> so good during the 16th and 17th century in western europe philosophers medical doctors and astrologers added palm reading to their set of skills so while in some places, it was considered, like, black magic, and you were found, you know, you'd go to jail. Other, like, actual working people and very smart people, this is where I said it gets to in the, used scientifically, so they were actually looking at it from those aspects as well. Mm -hmm. um, but they kind of had to be a little sneaker about it. The Romanians and the Romani, or Romani people, Roma. Romani. People heard it both. Oh, okay. So that's why I just wanted <laughs> to say everything. Because I'm just not trying to offend anyone. <laughs> I was like, or is Romani a different thing? Because Romani, that's... Uh, Romani might be a different thing then. Because people spell it with an I and a Y. I'm thinking of the one with the I. Okay. That's Romani. I think that might be, like, gypsies. It is. That's what I'm referencing. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. I was like, so that's why I was like, maybe... Because you were like, well, the Roman people, and then you were like, Roman... No, Roma. Like, Romani? R-O-M-A. Roma. Yeah. The Roma. Yeah. Okay. Not not Roman. Romanians and Oh, I thought you said <laughs> Roma. Okay. Yeah, For yeah, some reason yeah. I thought you said Roman and then you said like and I was like, Do you mean Romani? But then I was like, wait, no, that's not Rome. Yeah. And like I yeah, and so classically, like traditionally referred to as gypsies, but 
a lot of people say you're not supposed to use that term anymore. So Which I just why I was kind of like, when I was like, how do I explain this? No, I was like, yeah. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, and that's, and that's, I mean, people might not know what Roma is. Um, but they also greatly contributed to the spread of palmistry as well as tarot and tea leaf readings just because they were known to travel and teach that way mm -hmm. a lot. So they were just big practitioners. And it was the reason it spread so much. The Chirological Society of Great Britain was founded in London by Catherine St. Hill in 1889 with the aim to advance and systemize the art of palmistry as well as to prevent charlatans from abusing the art. The American Chirological Society was founded in 1897 by Edgar de Valcourt, Vermont. It's a fancy name. <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> So, probably known as the most pivotal figure in the modern palmistry movement. Some call him, quote, the father of modern palmistry. So, there you go. It was Irish astrologer William John Warner, or Lewis Hammond Count to some, but he was best known as his nickname, Cairo. So, we're just going to call him Cairo. Because <laughs> man's has a lot of fucking names. That's <laughs> like the... The second one didn't even sound close to the first one. I'm like, what? I know. I, I was reading so many articles, and one article referenced him as one name, and one article referenced him as the second name, but they've all referenced, uh, like, the most pivotal, or the father, or Cairo, and I'm like, so wait, is this just the same man? And then I found one article that used all three names, and I was like, motherfucker, this was, I was so confused for a good, like, 20 minutes on who was the father of modern palmistry. <laughs> Turns out it's insane. the same dude. He's just got a lot just of aliases. Just picked a second name. <laughs> Literally, Probably I think keep that's himself out of jail. Did. Like, I think he did just kind of make a new name. And I'm like, great. Cairo is your name to me. Every time he was about to get caught and be like, are you this person? He's like, no, my name is... <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Lewis Hammond... Count. Count. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. So, so you're not John Warner. He's like, no, <laughs> no, no, don't no. know who that is. What was your name again? Cairo. And he just walks away. And they're like, what? <laughs> anyway, this guy. So Cairo, um, both ways you can spell it. People spell it C-H Cairo or K-E Cairo. It just kind of depends on where you're at. Uh, he's probably the most famous palm reader in modern times. In his book on palmistry, he talks about how he left Europe in search of ancient science and went to Kashmir or Kashmar. Then he roamed around until he finally met the Brahmin Josai family, who were palmistry experts, and they taught him the form of fortune telling known as, this is where I'm going to absolutely butcher, Hashtendrik Sastra, which later just became known as palmistry, but the original term mm -hmm. was that saying. I have no idea how to I've got a, what, a lot of words like that in mind, too, so we're going to be in this together. Great. <laughs> I can barely speak English, so, like, I just struggle when it comes to terms. That and I'm also just not a good reader, so, as you all probably know. Cairo also claims to have seen the original scripts of palmistry that were referenced in that quote earlier, so the ones that are, like, kept secret. Mm -hmm. um, Cairo has stated that he has seen these. And, he was one of the trusted. And it was assumed it was during his same, like, internship-like journey with this particular family who, mm. like, were experts and know all these secrets. Which is cool if he's not bullshitting. <laughs> who knows? But he seemed just, like, everyone thought he was pretty legit, so. After studying in India, he set up a palmistry practice in London, and he enjoyed quite a wide following of famous clients from around the world. Some of these included Mark Twain, Oscar Wilde, 
Grover Cleveland, Joseph Chamberlain, Sarah Bernhardt, and many more. Uh, the skeptical Mark Twain wrote in Cairo's visitor book that he had, quote, exposed my character to me with humiliating accuracy, end quote. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> my little sister's doing a project on Mark Twain right now. She should include that. <laughs> she has to do a history, a history report slash journalistic interview about when he changed his views from being like pro-American and how like he would tell people that America is the best place to live to realizing that America fucking sucks. And so it's like an interview of that time of like how he came to. That's fun. Yes. <laughs> like anytime, anytime we can bash America, I'm down. Throw in some palmistry. <laughs> It is also said that around this time that Cairo predicted the love affair and the abdication of King Edward VIII five years before the event took place. Oh, neat. So, fun fact. And we know what abdication <coughs> means from my history episode way back when. <laughs> <laughs> way back when. It does seem like it was a long time ago. So also during this time, many scientific studies were taking place by French and Russian doctors and psychologists. This work later proved to be the foundation for psychologists in Europe and America in the 20th century in regards to using palmistry in a medical way or as a way to like further help science. Mm -hmm. The interest in palmistry and its psychological and physiological effects started to seriously be taken into consideration in the 20th century and the first major work on palmistry was Julius Spire's The Hands of Children. This appeared in 1944, and it was quickly followed by work from other scholars like Noel Joaquin, Charlotte Wolfe, and Andrew Fitzherbert in 1990. So this is when people are like starting to actually make documentation records on like how to use it as science and stuff like that. So since the Second World War, the latest scientific palmistry work has been undertaken by Kennedy Gowton Center in London. This work leads to the thinking and making confirmations by many medical doctors and psychologists that palmistry can actually help in being a diagnosis of health issues before the ailments manifest in the body. Mm. So that's what they're working on in London since like the Second World War. And then currently, palmistry is being really used in consideration in dermaticulitis, which is just uh, the study of skin patterns, a DMIT dermatographics, multiple intelligence test, whatever, involves taking hands and testing the potential to know the past, present, and the future, which is the basis of palmistry, but they're using it in refers to, like, skin patterns and, like, um, dermatology, stuff like mm. that, which I think is pretty cool. They're still trying to, like, use it in a scientific way. Yeah. Which, it's not something that's talked about a lot, but I think it's really cool, because, you, I mean, it's the thing about your palms is they do change. And you can learn stuff from that if you pay attention. Mm -hmm. And just to be, like, skeptics, too. Uh, so skeptics often include palmists on the list of alleged psychics who practice cold reading. And then cold reading, of course, is a practice that allows readers of all kinds, including palmists, to appear psychic by using high probability guessing and inferring based on signals or cues from the other person. So, I mean, people can do that in any form of, like, divination also. That's, like, where science and people, like, the lady who made the foundation trying to suss out the charlatans from the actual people who like to learn it and use it nicely. So, mm -hmm. But there are always, you know, pros and cons to everything. So that's kind of just the history. So now more about just actually doing a palm reading, if you're interested. Very. Very basic, very beginner-friendly. 
There are a lot of varying opinions on which poem you should read when doing a reading, but most today believe that it is important to analyze both the left and the right palms. So your non-dominant hand reveals natural personality and character, while the dominant hand shows how these traits have been actualized in practice. Together, then, they reveal how a person is, like, using their full potential in this lifetime. It's kind of like left brain, right brain. Mm -hmm. uh, there are four basic hand shapes in palmistry, which is typically the first thing you would want to determine about yourself or someone, whoever you're doing a reading on. Uh, so each are connected with the different elements, fire, water, earth, and air, and the traits associated with those. So much like your astrological sign, you also have a palm sign but they're not necessarily correlated. They don't have to match. Mm -hmm. So for example, your sun sign could be a fire sign like Aries, but your hand shape could be a water sign. And then that would kind of then give more nuanced insight into like why you are the way you are. Mm -hmm. Because it would like, they'd either help each other or they like counteract each other and it could just, it just makes up more of your thought to be personality, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which is interesting. Okay, so to figure out if you have an earth hand, Earth hands are identified by square palms and short fingers. These hands are often fir firm, solid, and fleshy. So they're going to be just like a solid hand and kind of like, you know, they got some meat. People with earth hands are known to be much like if your sign is an earth sign, practical, logical, and grounded. They can become too consumed with immediate realities though, and this can hinder long-term planning and achievement. That's earth hands. Fire hands. Fire hands have long palms and short fingers. These hands often have distinctive creases and defined mounds, or mounts. People with fire hands are known to be passionate, confident, and industrious. They are driven by desires, and on bad days, though, they may lack tact and empathy. Air hands. Air hands have square palms and long fingers. These are often bony and have protruding knuckles and spindly fingers. This hand type points to being intellectually curious with an innate analytical abilities and communication skills. People with air hands, though, are easily distracted and become anxious or edgy if they are not stimulated enough. And then finally, water hands. Water hands have long palms and long fingers. These hands are often soft to the touch and a bit clammy, with an overall narrow appearance. People with water hands are typically in tune with their emotions, intuition, and psychic ability. They are often creatives that are fueled by compassion and imagination. They are extremely sensitive, though, and their feelings are easily hurt, which often leads to a lot of interpersonal stress. So those are the four hand types. I think I have water hands because I have long palms and long fingers. And I do have very soft hands. You might, yeah. That's why I'm good at playing instruments. I agree you have long fingers. I can't tell if you have a long palm, though. I don't really know what a long palm looks like. Comparatively, I feel like, like my palm looks longer. Yeah. So you might be air. I might have an air hand. <laughs> so it may be air or water. Cause I, kind of I just think... don't have bony, like I don't have very bony hands. And, then, have... and it doesn't have to be exact. Mm. It's just a good indication. Cause I think, see at first I thought I had water, but I think I have short fingers compared to my palm. So I think I actually have fire hands. Okay. Then I may have air hands with a square palm and long fingers. Yeah, and it takes, I knew, you have to, like, it really takes comparing to other people to yeah. really be able to see, like, as soon oh. as you said, like, earth sign, I was like, and you were like, square palm. I was like, do I have a square palm? And then you were like, short fingers. I was like, that's not it. <laughs> I was like, that's not me. Next. <laughs> so, yeah, so that one, it can be, at first, you're like, oh, I know my hand. But then you really do kind of have to, like, compare it to other people. Be like, oh, okay, so maybe this is what this means. Then you can more accurately, like, but just yeah, I can look see at what hands. you mean by, like, a long palm compared yeah. to... To my fingers, yeah, my palm is much longer than my fingers. Yeah. 
and like where your lines are at like you have a lot more right here like you yours are a much bigger space than mine is then that that's another thing go like that'll probably play into more the mounts and the lines which i'm going to go over next oh okay <laughs> well i just meant like the space between that line and these like yours is much bigger than mine is yeah which but these mean... are these are part of palm reading also okay yeah <laughs> that'll be next but i don't know if that had anything to do with like long palmed or not the fact that you have more space there and it could uh just in the makeup of a human body but uh, those are called your mounts. Mm. And so you also read those when you read hands. After identifying the type of palm, the next step would be observing the palm's topography and figuring out the mounts and the planes, which is what Skylar was talking about. So the fleshy areas are called mounts and planes are related to the different life themes. So the classic mounts correspond with the seven classical planets. So you have Apollo, which is your sun mount, Luna, your moon mount, and then you have Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So rounded, slightly elevated mounts reveal attributes that are balanced and well-proportioned, while sunken mounts expose someone's, quote, blind spots or just underdeveloped qualities. Extremely prominent mounts reveal dominant characteristics that may be exaggerated or overemphasized. So this is going to be a lot of word vomit, but you can follow along with it, and I think I made it pretty easy to follow along, but I'm just going to walk you through where each one is located and kind of what it means. So let's just start and see if it's confusing. So your mount of Jupiter. This is going to be located at the base of your index finger. This mount symbolizes confidence, ambition, and leadership. It reveals a connection to the spiritual realm along with divine aptitudes. So if right under your index finger, if you have a more protruding little mount right there compared to like your others this might be you have more dominant characteristics in this aspect of your life but if it's a little sunken comparatively to the others it might be one of your more under underdeveloped categories if that makes sense and the best way to do this is to really just feel your palm and you can kind of see what is higher and what is lower compared to each other and you can also do it with other people as well see i can't tell if it's this one is pretty flat, but this one is pretty up high. That also then depends on your dominant versus your non-dominant hand. So your non-dominant... And then I'm like, are my hands just fat? <laughs> <laughs> no, your hands can differ because, uh, like I said, your non-dominant is like like your characteristic, your personality side, and then your dominant is how, like, how you utilize that stuff, how you're utilizing oh, it in so your life. So I have dominant characteristics and confidence, and but I don't use it at all. maybe you're not using it at all. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, yeah, you have to compare each hand, because they can be different, and they probably are. So the next would be the Mount of Saturn, which is located at the base of your middle finger. This one corresponds to wisdom, responsibility, and fortitude. It reveals integrity as well as a deep understanding of the ups and downs of life. So like for me, my Mount of Jupiter is much more predominant than my Saturn. So my wisdom is much more down than my like psychic and like intuition stuff. I'm like, okay, cool, great. <laughs> Next will be your Mount of Apollo. So this is located beneath the ring finger. This area corresponds to optimism, vitality, and the dynamic essence. It reveals artistic inclinations, happiness, and the potential of success. Next would be the Mount of Mercury. This is below your pinky, and it's connected to communication and intelligence. It's linked to wit, adaptability, and social skills. 
It reveals someone's strategic mind and resourcefulness. Next, we have the Mount of Luna, which is like, it's where it gets a little more complicated. So the Mount of Luna is located toward the bottom of the palm on the pinky side. So it's going to be like here. Yeah. This symbolizes imagination, intuition, and psychic powers. It reveals empathy, compassion, and imagination. Then is the Mount of Venus, which is located at the base of the thumb. It showcases natural magnetism and emotional connection to romance. Sexuality, passion, and indulgence are also in this area. Okay, so those are the main mounts. And then when you look at those, you have to um, look at Inner Mars, Outer Mars, and then the Plane of Mars. Inner Mars is also called the Lower Mars, and that's located above the Mount of Venus, and then the below Jupiter. So it symbolizes physical strength and represents aggression. Outer Mars is also called Upper Mars. It's located between the Luna and the Mercury, and that represents the perseverance and your emotional bravery. And then the Plane of Mars is located in the lower center of the palm. So the plane is like the center of your palm, and that represents your temperament and how the inner and the outer Mars are balanced with each other. And then it's usually flat. Its significance is then goes into how the lines of your palm interact with the plane. So it's like I said, a lot of information. I will post like a graph that really maps it all out if you are interested. But essentially it's just one, two, three, four, five, six, and then boom, boom, boom. And that's how that is. And then you just compare them all together to make up your little personality. Then we get into the lines, which is what most people associate with palm reading is your lines. Mm-hmm. That's actually the like last thing you do when you do a palm reading. I also learned this because I learned about all the other stuff when I was doing these notes. So, the folds and the creases of the palm are used to form narratives and predict the future happenings. The meanings of the lines are determined by analyzing their length, depth, and the curvature. It's important to note where each line begins and ends, which mounts its crosses, and where the creases intersect with each other, if they intersect at all. So we'll start with your headline. This is located in the center of the palm. It starts a bit between the thumb and the pointer, going across and slightly down the middle to the other side. So it's not your very top horizontal line, it's going to be your second horizontal line, kind of more in the center of your palm. It reveals your intellectual curiosities and pursuits, as well as lessons we need to learn in this lifetime. So the complexity of someone's mental pursuits corresponds with the depth of this line. So if you have a more shallow or a more like darker defined line, that's where the complexity of your mental pursuits goes. The length of it reveals the breadth of the topics you explore. So if you ex- like to explore more things, it might be a little longer than someone else's. Mine goes all the way almost to the end of my palm. That makes sense because you love learning. <laughs> I do. So as soon go. as you said that, I was like, look how long mine is. I was like, that checks out. <laughs> See? So, I mean, it's very interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. A wavy line signifies progressive thinking, while a straight line might reveal more traditional approaches to your learning, where it corresponds to the stuff. So breaks in the line can signify mental strife or monumental breakthrough breakthroughs or epiphanies. Um, and again, your palms change throughout your life. Well, I've had none of those so far because mine is connected altogether. I, could, I was about to say, your palm changes. So you yeah. actually need to keep an eye on your palm through your lifetime to see if you if your lines change because they will. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to see how they line up to what's going on in your life. So then we'll have the heart line. This is located right above your headline and it's the highest horizontal line on the palm. So this is also called the love line. 
and this line refers to all matters of the heart, including romance, friendship, sexuality, and commitment. So, if the line... Oh, why she's laughing. <laughs> because I'm a horrible person. <laughs> well, let's see. <laughs> no, I just, my first, thought, as soon as you said sexuality, I was like, how can it tell I'm gay? <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I need to take, like, we're taking this seriously. I was like, because I do, I think palmistry is really cool. But sometimes I like to joke about stuff. And that was the first joke I thought of. And I was like, this looks like I'm making fun of palmistry, but I'm not. Like, that was just ha ha funny to I me. I mean, I'm not an expert. Maybe experts can tell if you're gay. I don't know. <laughs> TikTok sure as hell knows my shit. So... <laughs> But I just, I was like, that, that's stupid. That's not, that's not what that means. <laughs> I would have left. So if the line begins below the index finger, it reveals content in relationships. Again, this is not excluded to romance. This could also be friendship or familial. Uh, if it begins below the middle, it reveals the potential for restlessness. Was yours in the middle? Yep. There you go. <laughs> shock <laughs> which i mean just to prove like stuff is different mine is under my index so so the depth of the line represents the significance of interpersonal relationships in in someone's life and then the length corresponds with time spent coupled longer lines represent lengthier partnerships again this can be referencing friendship as well Broken lines can suggest multiple lovers, bonds that have transformed recently, or even infidelity in a romantic sense. And that's where you would just have to take your knowledge of yourself into consideration and work that out, really. The easiest way is doing it by yourself. Then we have the lifeline. So this is located underneath your headline. So it'll be your third horizontal line. It reveals experience, vitality, and zest. So the depth of this line points to the richness of your experience. The length reveals others' influences on your path. And then short or broken lines signify independence and auto autonomy. Not how long you will live, which is a big misconception. If you have a broken lifeline, that doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean you're going to die. <laughs> it just means shit's going on in your life. And like, maybe you've recently become very independent. So it's just, it signifies a change more than and anything. And this still does like the personality and then like, mm -hmm. okay. Because mine on this side is very, very shallow, but the one on this side is a bit deeper. And so it's like, almost like, yeah, there's not a lot doing to like enrich my, like I'm not a very, like I don't have like a rich life or anything, but I'm doing a lot of stuff maybe. Doing a lot of stuff. And then also more people could be influencing you or having an impact on your life than maybe mm -hmm. you re realized was possible. And I'd also be curious uh, how much your lifeline intersects with your fate line, which is what we're going to talk about next. Is that this one? That is the one going down your middle. So the fate line is also called the line of destiny. It's located in the center of the palm, and you can usually find it easily near the base of the ring finger or just about, if in case you can't see it, right near middle. So while our palm naturally evolves over the course of the lives, this is the line that's going to move the fastest and change the quickest. Uh, which makes sense because it's your fate line. It reveals the degree to which someone's life will be influenced by external circumstances beyond your control. So whenever you are experiencing a massive shift, either personal or professional, whatever, it's a good idea to keep an eye on your fate line and just kind of see if it changes because it's really cool. And then palmists believe that itchy hands are a sign of upcoming shifts. So it's also a good idea to stay attuned to that clue as well. But yeah, especially where your fate line, if you have a fate line that intersects with your lifeline, that is a pretty good indicator that like, 
hey, maybe you don't have much control in where your life is headed, but it's not necessarily a bad thing either. It just means this was meant to happen if you believe in that sort of thing. Yeah. Mine don't touch, but it it's almost like I... This one is so, so shallow. Almost, if you're not really looking, it's like I don't have one on this hand. <laughs> you might not. But then I've got this one, and it goes all the way down and around. <laughs> See? <laughs> I mean, hands are wild. I think it's so cool. And then you have the sun line. So this is the last of the main lines. There are one? other ones. There are. So the sun line is located vertically, and it's on the pinky side. And then this reveals your public image, legacy, and fame. So alongside the fate line, it demonstrates how someone will achieve success. If your sun and fate lines intersect or run parallel, they signify that an individual's prominence will be a byproduct or external events outside of your control. And then if your sun and fate lines aren't close in proximity, it suggests that your legacy will be built more independently and like by your own building, which then sun lines also might not be very uh, like... You might not be able to see them very easily. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I don't think I have them. <laughs> it's, yeah, my, like I said, this lighting is kind of shit. Because I do have a sunline, but even I can't see mine. Unless it's changed already from the other day when I looked. And then the last thing I just want to talk about, because I think it's interesting. There are other lines, of course. People have, I think there's one called, like, the three bracelets, which are the three lines that go right on your wrist and they can sometimes go up into your palm and some people have like little ring lines on their fingers you can get all detailed in that but those ones I just talked about were the main ones but one I think is interesting uh, because I have this one is something that not everyone is going to have so a few people have a kind of second heart line and it's located above the heart line in a semicircle, and it goes between the pointer and the middle finger to between the ring and the pinky. So it kind of just makes a little circle on your ring and your middle. Hmm. But not everyone is going to have this. Yeah, I don't have this. So this is called the Girdle of Venus. And then people have varying opinions on this line. So this is actually a very, like... People kind of fight over this line in the palmistry world, so that's why I also think it's kind of fun to talk about. Uh, more often than not, it's seen as a negative. Oh. <laughs> so, at least in history. Hey! <laughs> so, it's believed that people who have the girdle of Venus uh, have love issues, including restlessness, insecurity, and even cheating partners. In modern palmistry, though, having the girdle of Venus is said to be a powerful sign that's related to intelligence, beauty, psychic, and creative abilities. So think what you want, I guess. Some think it's an extension of your heart line and that it can just kind of overpower your decisions and your feelings of your original heart line. So some people are like, oh, this is a bad thing. Some people are like, no, it's actually really good. Some people are like, it's just a more chaotic heart line <laughs> that makes you not be able to think straight. In which, I mean, it could be all of these, honestly. I personally feel like it's the last two for you. <laughs> um, Definitely don't think it's the first one. <laughs> Who knows? He's in there playing D&D &D right now. <laughs> He's <laughs> just cheating partners. So TikTok, it's like, all those TikToks with my couples, and they're like, you're not worried he's going to cheat on you? And like, no, he's in there playing D&D &D <laughs> with like two 40-year-old men. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. I think it's cool that I have to hear it all yeah. of Having the girdle of Venus reveals that you have great empathy for people as well as animals. I also think that greatly applies to me because mm -hmm. that's why I can't really be around people very much because I feel their emotions and I hate it. Same with animals. I get sad at animals all the time. It's also been said to be linked to charisma, forgiveness, and adaptability. But 
again, taking the negative with the positives, having this line means you probably lose trust in people pretty quickly and that you could very life likely suffer from childhood trauma, leading to irritability and prone to mood swings, which, hey. <laughs> so if you have this line, you probably do, though, find life and beauty in things, and you would most likely make a good teacher, spiritual guru, or an artist. So I'm going to look on the positives of my girdle penis, but also, hey, childhood trauma, got that. But that's just a very basic covering of palmistry. Mm. Hopefully it wasn't too weird. <laughs> no, it's definitely interesting. I would love to know how to do it. I, think I would I'm... love to have my palms read. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to like try to make myself learn it seriously. So maybe one day I can read your palms. All right. <laughs> well, I am going to be talking about like herbalism. Very cool. There's a whole lot of history and then like oh, a I'm sure. <laughs> quick little chart at the end. Okay. So the oral history of flower and plant magic dates back to like the beginning of time, as soon as humans could conceptualize their fascination and necessity to use the world around them is when herbalism basically popped up. Makes um, sense. <laughs> but written history is easier to document and we don't have to go back that far. So I'm only going to do the ris- <laughs> written history. Um, the oldest, Slacker. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> the oldest written record of herbal use is from Egypt. Medicine, perfumery, and magic were part of a metaphysical system of medicinal cures and social allures. Um, the earliest documents containing herbal lore date from 2000 to 1000 BCE, though those documents referred to even older lost documents and other oral traditions. So those were the first records, but they like date, they like referenced other things before them. They mentioned using various plants and embalming. Evidence also suggests that the Hanging Gardens of Babylon housed flowers, herbs, and other plants for all types of practical, religious, and magical functions. In India, herbalism and religion were tied together in a system called Ayurveda, which means the science of life. They believed that gods taught Ayurveda to select human disciples. They placed that information in the Vedas, which are Hindu scriptures, for the teaching of the general populace. By 1000 BCE, the techniques were developed and expanded upon in the Rig Veda, which listed over a thousand plants. In 1 AD, a text called the Shakara Samhita I buy it. <laughs> was written. It listed 500 herbal drugs and recommended that people should meditate for their spiritual and health, for their spiritual well being and their physical health. I mean, yeah. Yep. Meditation's pretty good. Around 7th century BCE, Greeks were still observing nature's magic, as did Syrians, Mesopotamians, and Persians. In trade-oriented regions like Greece and Rome, plant magic was taken in by travelers who would then take air like from merchants, and then they would take it to the kings. Witches and magicians would work in villages, while some would assist rulers. Cassiodorus, a Roman senator and monk, created a teaching curriculum that included herbal studies. The herbal curatives included charms, incantations, and mystical properties. The monks performed duties from healing the sick to making fields produce and make cattle fertile. But of course, with the incantations and everything, they would change like the original pagan incantations to stuff that had more um, angelic yeah. Because it's we're, we're in Rome. <laughs> Naturally. By the early centuries in AD, pagans and Christians were at odds over retaining the established social worldview um, of like herbal magic versus a new theological worldview. 
but natural magic and church rituals still intermingled. Aristotle declared that plants possessed a powerful psyche, but they had less power than the human psyche. The power of herbs was being used to heal, divine the future, make amulets, etc. And this pagan tradition included Christian invocations. So that way, unless it be seen as the devil's work. Correct. Can't have that. Yes. Yeah, so they would also change it around. Even though to... they stole everything from paganism. Literally. But, okay. <laughs> they just steal stuff from paganism and change it up a little bit because they're like, it's the devil. Even though it's not what paganism is. But no. Okay. <laughs> Between 100 and 500 AD, the Gnostic and Hermetic traditions joined. It resulted in incantations that exhibited a blend of Jewish, Christian, um, Hellenistic... Yes. Uh, Persian, Greek, and Babylonian influences. It still had more attention to the natural world and its magic. Specifically in the early herbal writings of Hermetica, a book that is sometimes historically attributed to um, Hermes Trismegistus, where plants were categorized into their planetary, divine, and sympathetic associations. Like any herb linked with Venus, the planet was also associated with the Roman goddess Venus, and then that would make the flower or herb powerful in love magic. Yeah. And so they would categorize it all that way. And that still holds true today, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, to yeah, say, yeah. like, I, I do this. <laughs> I was like, it should sound familiar. <laughs> Between 641 and 1096 AD, monasteries were the main centers for the understanding and practice of the herbal arts. Cunning folks during this time were trusted by the townspeople to do things from curing cattle to fixing a broken heart. The cunning folks blended practical with metaphysical energy resulting in a balance between the mundane and magic. In Japan, there was heavy reverence for flowers, especially chrysanthemums. On the ninth day of the ninth moon, petals were steeped in wine and then given to the emperor to ensure long life and, like, inspire muse. Yeah. Love that. In 900 AD, Arabic people were developing the pharmacist profession. These pharmacists were physicians who employed astrology and various magically related rituals as part of their healing techniques, especially in the preparation of the medicines. After the Crusades, Arabic beliefs were brought back to Europe and added to the herbal treatments already in use. When Arab spice tra- traders met the Europeans, they recognized um, an atmosphere full of like omens and witchcraft, and they kind of used it as like their own advertising platform um, and would spread traditional Arabic practices associated with their spices, and that raised the value of their trade goods. Yeah, do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> The Muslim hold on the spice trade did not diminish for centuries. Apart from the Arabic practices, the common people employed the renowned magical significance of herbs as needed. So like parsley was a preventative for drunkenness, anise was used for nightmares, uh, basil for hatred, and laurel for invoking the gift of prophecy. During the 1200s, a book was written entitled Laknunga, translated as Remedies. It was an important compilation of prescriptions from European folk magic, including bits from Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Norse traditions that documented many commonly used healing methods. It also described the flowers and plants called for in various spells, potions, and amulets, amulets, and suitable accompanying, 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 you got this, accompanying, accompanying, whatever, (laughs) incantations and ritualistic preparation processes. I don't know why that word is so hard for me to say. Lots of words for me <laughs> when they're not usually when we record, so it was fun. 
Um, during the 1300s, the herbal tradition continued. Solomon's herb, for example, was used by St. Augustine to exercise evil. He thought it would, like, chase the devil away. Like, he would wear it around, like, you would wear the um, Solomon's herb around your neck and would sh- wear it in front of the afflicted person. Yeah. And by afflicted, the possessed person. And, like, it would make the demons fly away. Right. Because that's, that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Makes complete sense. <laughs> In the early 1400s in Todi, Italy, there was a woman named Matuccia Franceschi, who was a professional witch who often mixed over 30 plant parts into wine for love, fertility, or other curatives. She also created lotions and poppets for similar purposes. Apparently, her abilities, knowledge of plant lore, and adeptness with the magical arts were so good that people traveled hundreds of miles just to see this woman. It's a dream. (laughs) I want to be her when I grow up. In England, well-known herbalists were proving, um, started proving themselves. John Gerald first published his herbal work in 1597, which was a rewrite of Doden's Latin herbal. Gerald also includes information on exotic plants, of which he grew personally over, and like he grew over a thousand species of these exotic plants all by himself. That's awesome. Um, and he would include details on like each of the plants' lore. Yeah. Um, he was followed in the mid-1600s by Nicholas Culpepper, an herbalist and astrologer who listed planetary associations in his writings and whether a plant was hot or cold, which affected its applications. Alongside Culpepper, the German alchemist uh, Albertus Magnus wrote the book of secrets, and it became very popular right <laughs> after. Yeah, I don't know. This sentence, I don't think I wrote this sentence correctly. <laughs> I definitely do that all the time. <laughs> Uh, Magnus taught Thomas Thomas Aquinas alchemy, and his writings include information of the mystical virtues of herbs, and then other flowers, including periwinkle, lily, and rose, and other plants like mistletoe. At the same time, King Louis the Fourteenth, mistress, employed a popular witch, Catherine Lavoisin, to create love potions, passion mixtures, and beauty preparations. The recipes included common flowers still used today for love, like roses, and culinary spices like fennel and cinnamon. By the 1700s, the demand for magicians was still present, but people were undergoing like an enlightenment period. Uh-huh. Now, technically, enlightenment refers to like religion, like a religious resurgence, but I'm going to use it as like this was for science. So they started like getting into science. They had a science period of enlightenment instead yeah. of a religion one. Alchemy became more appealing because of its scientific methods, even to figures like Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Witchery was on the back burner during this time. Instead, Freemasonry had um, Freemasonry, which has strong mystical overtones, emerged along with some Druidry, which takes you back to like nature's temple. In the 19th century, um, agnosticism, alchemy, and Thagrianism uh, all found themselves experienced in renaissance. Books on these subjects started to appear filled with useful plant lore. Eliphas Levi, a mystic revered... Revered? revered. (laughs) (laughs) I am struggling. (laughs) Like, it was funny because I could see you as you were saying it. Your eyes were like, wait, this isn't right. You're like, you knew how to say it, but you were like, why am I, I could see it in your eyes. You were like, why am I saying it like this? You were so, you confused yourself. I really did. Because as soon as the word came out of my mouth, I was like, no. I could see you being like that. 
revered as the father of modern magic, wrote during this era for ritual magicians while other people were compiling magical almanacs for everyday folks um, and not just for researchers or historians. And this was a big deal because this is what finally, like, bridged the gap between only allowing, like, town doctors and shamans and monks and priests or to use the herbs. It was now um, open to anyone who wanted to know about it. Yeah. And it's important to note that no matter the era or culture, the magical arts have always existed hand in hand with the natural world and still do. So that is the history behind herbalism. Nice. And now I'm going to read a list of common herbs and their medical and magical use from the SalemWitchMuseum.com. So, amaranth. So, medicinally, it reduces swelling and helps with the stomach flu, and magically, it repairs broken hearts. Angelica, medicinally, aids in colic and hepatitis, and then magically, it protects your home and garden. Basil, it eases stomach cramps and insect bites. I almost said, um, like, insect, like, not... You could tell it was coming out weird. <laughs> Fevers and banishes negativity and aids in keeping love. Bee balm makes a sedative. Sedit- <laughs> Good lord! I swear I didn't make these cocktails that strong. <laughs> it's not even that. Like, I don't I even feel tipsy right now. I just am stupid. It's just one of those days, man. <laughs> Tongue tied happens. It's makes... also really hard read. Like, I struggle, too, reading and speaking out loud. Yeah. Like, it's not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I was just reading it in my head, this would just, like, fly right through Yeah. <laughs> makes a sedative tea, and it attracts fairies. So if you want to attract fairies, be bomb. Um, just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful of... <laughs> careful with the fae, please. <laughs> Perceive... Don't give them your name. Don't say thank you. <laughs> Proceed with caution when using bee balm. <laughs> uh, calendula helps with gum disease and encourages psychic development. Chamomile helps insomnia, eases sores. That's like, you know, all your nighttime tea is going to be like chamomile. It attracts money, protects the home, aids meditation. We love chamomile in this house. I'm surprised I didn't say like chamomile, like that TikTok. <laughs> chamomile. <laughs> like, what did you just say? Chamomile? It's pronounced chamomile. He's like, no. And he's like, don't tell anyone. And he's like, I'm telling everyone. <laughs> uh, comfrey heals wounds, bruises, and broken bones. I probably need that because I bruise like a peach. <laughs> and provides travel protection. Juniper does that too. Yes, I use juniper in my travel protection. Yeah, I also have comfrey also. You <laughs> gave me that little uh, juniper, the little jar of juniper. I keep it in my car. Nice. Daisy helps headaches and brings good luck. Dandelion, eucalyptus, or no, are those two different things? Those are two different things. That's what I thought, but they're so close together. They're not spaced out like the rest of them are. It threw me off. I mean, unless there's a new varietal of dandelion, I don't know. Some hybrid dandelion eucalyptus. We pro- it could probably be done. Probably. So dandelion detox- detoxifies the liver and promotes circulation and aids in clairvoyance. Eucalyptus works as insect repellent, aids health, and provides purification. Yeah, just going back to dandelion. If you ever feel a sickness coming on, dandelion tea. Mm. Every time. It makes me feel so much better. I feel like that may not work with me. Are you allergic to dandelion? Well, then maybe don't do that. If you're <laughs> allergic. <really. laughs> 
But you can every buy time, it or every you time can the day. steep actual dandelion flowers and make a nice tea. Yeah, every time the dandelions start sprouting in the spring, oh my god, <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, clearly if you're allergic to something, don't <laughs> ingest it, please, or rub it on your body. Garlic works as a natural antibiotic, dispels negativity and protects the house. Heather suppresses coughs, aids sleep. I feel like we both need that right now. Yeah, I actually think Heather is something I don't actually keep on hand. And it guards against violent crime. I have lots of protection chicks. I'm very <laughs> paranoid. <laughs> Whorehound uh, helps respiratory system and stomach and provides protection. Hyssop aids lung ailments and is used in purification baths. Lavender eases nervous tension and stress, used in healing incenses, incenses, more than one incense, the plural of incense, and and sachets, lemon balm eases bee stings, headaches, and colds, and used in healing and friendship spells. Aw, I thought that was cute. (laughs) Yeah. Marjoram helps asthma, cough, and strengthens your intestines. And it eases grief and protects the home. Myrrh works as a powerful antiseptic and is used to consecrate and purify ritual tools. It also goes back to biblical because, you know, yeah, brought him frankincense and myrrh. And that's why it's always so funny. <laughs> it's always been there. <laughs> Patchouli eases dysentery, diarrhea, and nausea, wards off evil. Rose nourishes skin, purifies blood. That's why I like to use rose water. And aids in love spells. Sage eases laryngitis and stomach troubles. Aids in spiritual spiritual purification and banishes evil. Jesus fucking Christ, this is a shit show. <laughs> Solomon's seal helps tuberculosis and uh, diabetes uh, used in cleansing. Spearmint makes a facial astringent used in spells for courage. Star anise, or how did I say it earlier? Yeah, anise. Star anise. Yeah, that's what I, I was like. I think that's what I said earlier, but then I was second guessing myself. No, yeah, that's correct. Um, eases stomach disorders and wards off evil eye. St. John's wart um, helps depression and heals wounds and it banishes negativity. Thyme is used as an antiseptic um, and, it, and if used in a sleeping pillow, it repels nightmares. Valerian aids sleep. And helps couples reunite. Witch hazel eases insect bites and burns. And twigs used for divining. And so you can put it on twigs used for, use the, yes, I'm like, I can see it in my head. But I was like, just, I mean, just divining, it's just, yeah. It's not a full sentence. And I think that's what's really <laughs> throwing me off is that this chart isn't full sentences. I don't know how to think in bullet points. That's why I don't do my notes in bullet points. See, I do do my notes. I get it. And men's broken hearts. Wormwood helps liver and bladder ailments and aids in clairvoyance. Yarrow stimulates the liver, eases toothache, and it also wards off negativity and repels fear. Yellow dock purifies the blood and it also aids in spells for happy homes. I'm done now. <laughs> I'm done talking now. <laughs> this intro is er, out. It's not even an <laughs> intro. This outro is going to be so fun. Oh. Anyways, happy 50th episode, y'all. <laughs> Yay! That's why. She was just nervous because it's the 50th. Yeah, that's it. That's we'll what just, we're going to go with. We'll blame it on that. <laughs> I think I just had a stroke. <laughs> I think that's what well, it was. Please don't say that. <laughs> like, I might be mid-stroke right now. <laughs> Stop. 
What a what a 50th episode <laughs> that would be. Skylar has a stroke up on the recording. I'm like, I'm going to go look in the mirror. I'm going to make sure my face is like oh, the same yeah. on both sides. <laughs> I've been having a lot of headaches recently. Stop. <laughs> is it toast? Do you smell toast? Is that a stroke? No, I don't I smell toast. toast. Okay. Burning toast, I think. Oh. Well, that was fun. I thought, <laughs> even if we both stroke. Got time. Which, I mean, that's not new. Like, no, it's not new. But I feel like <laughs> I've, I've definitely had some where it's like every now and then. But I felt like it was every other sentence. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it happens. But anyways, I've really enjoyed taking my notes. And it's really fun because I like herbs a lot. Yeah, I like it too. I thought it was a fun episode. As we always do when it's mystical. Mystical is one of our mutual favorites, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of me. So we hope you like it too, because we like it. Yeah, so it'll probably be sticking around. I mean, we've made a lot of changes to this wheel, but I feel like that's that's one that's not going. Yeah. But over time, I mean, the wheel will evolve. But for now, I think it's all right. Mm-hmm. Anything else to say? On a I don't think so. I, I don't. But this was just, it was really fun. It was very informative. Nice. Yeah. Educational. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> We got movies. Again. I feel like we've been getting movies a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, they're easy, quick episodes. (laughs) They are. They're easy to take notes. It takes like three hours max. Gives us a break on having (laughs) to do like research. And it's your turn to pick a movie. So. I'll pick a movie. Maybe I'll twist Skylar's arm and make her watch something she's probably going to hate. Great. (laughs) Since it's October. Well, there's going to be two things we hate, or two things I hate, because we're drinking something we don't like. Oh. Well, that puts a damper on movies. <laughs> so I'm going to have so much fun next week. It will be fun. <laughs> well, someone will die of fun. And of murder. We are literally that, <laughs> that dynamic. Yeah, pretty much. But anyways, thank you all for listening. Um, if you would like to find the podcast you can find us on sip on twitter and instagram you got this you so have this you can find it on twitter and instagram at sip and spin pod or you can email us at sip and spin pod at gmail.com if you would like to find Brittany, her ats are whimsy dream or whimsy dreams and if you'd like to find me, I'm GleamYKS, but as always, all three link trees will be down in the description below. Yay! She did it! And she <laughs> looks like she's having a moment. <laughs> I closed my eyes the whole time. <laughs> I was like, maybe if I can just put myself on autopilot, it'll happen. She did great. What? Are, it's the hat. I think the hat is compressing my brain. I mean, you could take it off. You don't have to wear the hat. I mean, the hat's not tight at all. <laughs> That's not the issue. I was just trying to make you feel better. Like, yes, yes, it's the hat. <laughs> yeah. Thanks well, for listening. <laughs> we'll watch a movie. We'll watch, we'll get spooky with you next week, maybe. Possibly. I don't know yet. She's going to pick a horror movie. I have to decide. But it will be miserable because we'll be drinking something we don't like regardless. So So it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) And we'll sip with you then.
Bye. Bye.